Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Hello, everyone. This is Liz and Nick. It's Easter. For our 116th podcast. It's Easter, though. It's Easter. Are you excited? No, because I always work over Easter. I work over every public holiday. I don't get bank holidays. No, but Easter eggs, Liz. Priorities, Easter eggs. But they're always a disappointment, aren't they? No. No, the co-op have got a vegan chocolate orange Easter egg. and I don't like orange in chocolate. Oh, my God, it's amazing. I've actually bought three so far. Now, I... Shall I tell you what I've been loving this week? We've got a new section. We're ditching Miranda Priestley. But we have so many Miranda Priestley moments that we haven't mentioned yet. We're not going to block anyone this week. Aren't we? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. And we're going to avoid anyone who's chippy. No, we don't do chippy people. And you can't be chippy at Easter. No. But I've also been reading a book. What have you been reading? Look Again. I've not heard of that either. And it's the autobiography of David Bailey. David Bailey. Oh, no, David Bailey, though. Yeah. I mean, he is an absolute character. Would you like an antidote? Give us an antidote. I've been in his flat. But have you been in his bath? No, it's not Bruce Willis. two weeks ago we were in Bruce Willis's bath. It's not so. Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis is sacrosanct. But I did go to David Bailey's flat and it was this huge loft just by King's Cross. They're all sort of developing King's Cross at the moment. And everywhere in his flat, he had a very sparse kitchen, everywhere in his flat with these huge black and white photographs that he'd taken of the Beatles. I know you don't know who the Beatles are, the Rolling Stones, his wife, Catherine Bailey, who I had a bit of a ding-dong with. Um, And I, I kind of, yeah, I understand he's David Bailey, but, and I've talked about this in a future column where I didn't actually like using my own name because I hate myself so much. I don't understand people who surround themselves with their own art. I love people that got pictures of themselves all over the place. See, I haven't, have I? No. I've just got pictures of my animals. Yeah. I've got a picture of Audrey Hepburn. I've got a Matisse, which isn't original, so I don't steal it. I've got lots of pictures of Squeaky. Lots of pictures of Squeaky. I can understand. I mean, it's like people that have like those boudoir photograph oh, sessions. Oh, God, do you and remember stuff? that boudoir artist did a sketch you of me? <laughs> and every time, because obviously I've been renting and I've done another column about that as well, I could have a book of my columns, couldn't I? You could really catch up. I did this boudoir thing for work. I would never do it. And she was photo. She, photographing that she did sketches of me in sort of lingerie and heels and everything and I framed them because I had to frame them for the sort of finished article and then every time Watson's removal moved me the men have to look at pictures of me in my underwear and they smirk they smirk I love that I love that the thing is is I'd never do that myself it was a story 
thing is, I'd sort of quite like a really lovely photo. I mean, I thought when we did that You magazine show... Have you got photos of yourself in your house? No, no, not at all. But I thought when we did that You magazine show, uh, makeup artist stars, I thought they'd make me look really nice. And they made me look like my frumpy, like... Well, my grandmother wasn't as frumpy as they made me look. So I was really pissed off because I thought it was my opportunity to get a photograph of myself that I really, really liked. And instead, it was awful. So I'd quite like to have a photograph of me that I really, 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 really like. From a distance. No, but there's... <laughs> sod off. I'll do what you do and have it touched up. <laughs> Airbrush. Airbrush. Like the one, I, the one I sent to Russell, the film star. I said, Nick, I'm sending him a photo of me in Bosnia being a war reporter. Can you touch it up? And I'll tell him it was yesterday and it was 11 years ago. Yeah, from a distance. <laughs> from a distance. <laughs> no, I really like one that I like to I hate myself. photos of myself. I well, can't no, stand I it. Well, no, I always... I don't look on a photo the way I think I look in the mirror. There's some sort of Yeah, but you transition. look in the mirror all the time. I get in my car. Nick's driven my car. She always adjusts the rear view mirror never puts it back she always adjusts the seats and then in the the sun thing she gets the mirror out yeah but i put lip gloss on all the time because my lips get dry you don't need a mirror to do that oh no i can't i can't stand it if it goes on my skin it's got to just go on my lips i can't stand it wish you were more fastidious about other things (laughs) but anyway having read this david bailey autobiography which is fantastic i do recommend it called look again I'm reminded of when I interviewed Mary Helvin for the first time. Oh, I love Mary Helvin. She's so beautiful. So beautiful. She's so beautiful. And she looks so tiny and petite. She is tiny. She's absolutely tiny, but she had to give up modelling couture because they thought she was too big. How ridiculous. But you did a bikini shoot with her, didn't you? Where you were both in the same bikini. Yes, but mine was heavily airbrushed. <laughs> and it was in my contract before I did that story in the Daily Mail. You looked amazing. A self-tanning artist had to come and sculpt me first in a cubicle. And that's the first time a self-tanning cubicle has been taken into Daily Mail Towers. Yeah, but That was for me. At least you've got a body they can scout. There's not a lot they could do with me, is there? I mean, can you imagine if they put abs on my blubber? <laughs> It was about shading and highlighting. (laughs) You looked amazing, though. You looked amazing. But when I interviewed her, and this was in 2008, we met in a restaurant. She was drinking then. She doesn't drink anymore. And she doesn't eat white food during the day. I think that's quite important if you're a supermodel. You don't eat white food. I'm trying to think what, I suppose, bread, pasta. Risotto. Rice. Yeah, I suppose so. Look how beautiful she is. No, she is beautiful. So in this interview, I said, I've always been a little bit in love with Mary Helvin. In the mid to late 70s, I'd spent hours gazing at pictures of her in Vogue. Those impossibly long tapered limbs, the raven curls, heart-shaped face and dark eyes. I always preferred Mary Helvin to Jerry Hall, Cheryl Teagues and Rosie Vella. They were too blonde and athletic and super confident. Mary Helvin seemed fragile, vulnerable, different. She was the most beautiful woman in the world and I wanted to be just like her. I used to imagine what her life must be like, lying prone on yachts, dressed head to toe in Holston, men worshipping her because she married David Bailey. Yes, she's got good photos of herself. 
But it's funny, having met her, I found out that great beauty and fame are no defence against what life throws at you, that behind the gloss is often pain, disappointment, betrayal and tragedy. When I interview someone, I always turn up an hour early so I can get myself organised. Imagine my surprise when I arrive at the Bluebird restaurant on the King's Road in London to find her already at our table. I tell her I've never known an interviewee turn up so promptly and she tells me in her soft mid-Atlantic drawl that she likes to order a glass of champagne and try to relax first. You do that. Yeah, but we're twins. We're as twins. one. We, we are as one. As me one. and Mary Helvin, the body, as one. Couldn't tell the difference. Despite the fact she used to party with Jerry and Mick, Jack Nicholson, Salman Rushdie and almost every other big name you can think of in the 70s and 80s, she seems shy. She tells me she no longer buys designer clothes. I can't afford them, she says, and that her 30 pieces of a liar are in storage. She's not even carrying a handbag, just the keys to her rented flat round the corner and a lip gloss. I no longer fit into any of the designer stuff, she says. Next to Marie Helvin, I feel like a dull hippo having lunch with a hummingbird. I've gone up one and a half sizes, she says. She's a size 12. She points out sun damage on her decolletage. See, the thing they did in Vogue, they always put baby oil on them or olive oil and bake them. There's a cover of her in Vogue where she's just like, she's baked like a chicken. Yeah. They always look They didn't shiny, care about her they? skin. No. She even rolls up her trousers and shows me her thread veins. And I actually give her the number of my thread vein wizard at the Lister Hospital. See? You you are as one, you share. I wonder whether it must be infinitely harder dealing with growing older when she was such a fated beauty. I don't think so, she says. But sometimes I look at pictures of myself and wonder if I ever had a body like that. The thing I love most about Murray Helvin is she's deliciously bitchy. 60s models knew nothing about skincare, she says. This is the generation before her. When I met Gene Shrimpton, he was with Gene Shrimpton before he was with Murray Helvin. The only makeup she possessed was an old block of mascara which she had to spit into. They didn't know how to moisturise, they didn't know how to take care of themselves. She won't be drawn on the sordid business of modelling today. She says when she turns up on a shoot, such as for her recent cover for British Vogue's ageless issue, she was treated like an old relic. Reading Mary's life story has given me hope because if she, the most exquisite woman in the world, could be married to a man who cheats on her, David Bailey, then there's no reason for any woman to blame herself for her husband's infidelity. She laughs. Well, David Bailey's not attractive anymore. My God, he's... (laughs) See, she's just like me talking about Nurple. I love that. My God, he's fat and bloated. (laughs) But when we were married, he was a god. Well, it's the industry as well, isn't it? Famous photographer. The models are going to put out for him. Didn't didn't his affairs make her jealous? Bailey never put it in my face. What you didn't know couldn't hurt you. At the end of the day, he belonged to me. She says she didn't cheat on him. Funny, isn't it? I couldn't have that attitude. I continue to rail at her, though, saying I can't believe she let him get away with so much. They worked so well together for Vogue, Hoppers and Queen, Rich newspaper, which he launched. Yeah. She decided never to work with another photographer, which meant she turned down lucrative work, like lucrative adverts with other photographers. In 1980, 
David Bailey published a book of naked pictures called Trouble and Strife, in which he not only humiliated her, he failed to give her a share of the royalties. She said, when that happened, she said, I want a divorce, I couldn't speak. Then she says something so shocking I can hardly bear to listen. I truly believe I was molested as a child, she says, and sometimes I get flashbacks. If I have a bad dream, I'm being attacked and I've lost my voice. I'm sure of it. Also, the fact I went for Bailey, a really strong, domineering man. In her book, she writes that it was finding out about Bailey's relationship with another young model, Catherine, and discovering that this time it was love that ended their marriage, that she became Catherine Bailey. I've interviewed her as well. We had a bit of a fallout. But today, she says, Jerry Hall was constantly on my case about Catherine, who he was having an affair with. That was her thing. I'd been brought up in Hawaii by young parents who embraced the 60s and taught me that being faithful is not the be-all and end-all. It was Jerry Hall who had a problem. None of my other friends, they accepted him. Bailey was a good guy. The only thing he did wrong didn't affect me because I didn't allow it to. It was only Jerry Hall driving me nuts. For her, it was transference, all the things she was worried about. Turns out Marie and Jerry are no longer friends. So because Mick Jagger was cheating on Jerry Hall... This is what girls do, isn't it? Get divorced, he's cheating on you, you're worth it, girl, you'll find someone better than him. So it was Jerry Hall that encouraged Marie to divorce. Because everything in me screams, if you're being cheated on, get away. Do you know what I mean? You you, you are worth more than that. That's horrendous. But it is up to you, isn't it? What you yeah. tolerate. So is they up fell to out, you. her and Jerry yeah. Hall, they fell out. And it was because Jerry kept saying to her, no, get rid of Bailey, get rid of Bailey, which was transference because Mick Jagger was, yeah, was yeah. cheating on Jerry Hall. And then I met Marie again for another interview. I think she was doing a lingerie campaign. And she told me she'd had to move house because the landlord was selling a house, she had to go and rent somewhere else and take her cat. And it's like the most beautiful, famous woman in the world couldn't even afford a house. No. She had to keep moving. But we've come across this a lot, isn't it? It's why these why people end up doing things like Big Brother or Me. celebrity get out of it. It's, yeah. it's genuinely because they're perceived to have a lot of money because yeah. they're well known. But actually, but she they don't. pretty much left the marriage with nothing. He controlled her career, and now she's living in rented accommodation with and has to keep moving her cat. And we know moving cats is very no, we difficult. Don't, we don't want to move cats. No, we don't want to move cats. But I really, really admired Mary Helbin because she didn't let it make her a victim. She's still very positive. She wants to work. She does a lot for animals. Yeah. But I think it's a shame that someone with such an amazing career and was such an icon ended up with nothing. But how much happier she must be, though, to have that attitude? Because when you... When you sort of, you know, a feel like a twisted. victim and a bitter and, bitter and twi- twisted. Yeah, it's hard for you, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, it's a really no, I'm bitter hard, and twisted. But it makes you miserable. So she no, must be a lot happier yeah. by having, you know, the attitude of like, okay, this is where I'm at. I'll crack on. So what have you been up to, Nick? I've been talking about deaf films and being deaf and hanging out with Mary Helvin. You've been watching telly. I've been watching telly. Well, I've not been well and stuff. I've got a bit into a telly bonanza. And Gentleman Jack's back, which I'm thrilled about. Did you see the first series? I it never oh. really appeared. I do like Superman Jones. She's and amazing I, in it. I interviewed her for You Magazine. Do you remember? Yeah. She told me she had a red carpet event coming up. This is Suran Jones, star of Dr. Foster. 
Sarah of Gentleman Jack, and she said, I've got a red carpet event coming up, but I'm too big and none of the designers will dress me. But she's not big at all. No, I know. It? it just shows you how insane it's the world is. It's such a screwed up industry, isn't it? I mean, it's so screwed. I can understand if someone says I'm big, but she's not big. No. No, I, she was I struggling to get a red carpet outfit. She's very beautiful. I love her. I love her. She's got her own beauty, hasn't she? And but is there got... much lesbian action in the story? Yeah, quite a lot actually. I mean, we're on, we're only in um, we're only on episode one, and she's already been you know full in there. So yeah, there is. But we were sort of you know I've been watching that, and I've been watching like. Married, which is coming to an end. Married at First Sight Australia. Yeah, I didn't really get into the last... I um, didn't really like any of the characters. No, but I love to watch it anyway. And also, Nigel's not in it anymore. He's obviously gone off with his... Got off and got his puppy. Quality Nigel's gone off on a mini break with a new woman and his puppy and he's not photographing the couples that married at first sight. There's no reason for me to watch it. No, no, But I'm watching it for you just in case he pops up for a cameo. He's not going to pop up. He's too busy with his new puppy. And then there's Killing Eve and it's the last series. I'm distraught. I'm saving the last two episodes because I can't quite bear for it to end. And there's This Is Us. So... Like Emma Dow's fantastic at the minute. Don't turn your nose up. I love Emma Dow. It's a bit too down market for her no, podcast. No, no, no. I'm down market for her podcast, mate. I yeah, love Emma definitely. Dow. So it's kind of like there's all these great programs on at the minute that I've started watching and I can't keep up with them. And you end up, or I end up, going to bed at three o'clock in the morning so I can watch all my programs. But every, and- I have to say that every photo. Nick posts on Twitter. She's lying on her sofa. You must spend 23 hours a day on your sofa. Well, not quite, but I have not been well lately, so I've spent a lot more time on my sofa than usual. And I don't usually watch a lot of telly, and I've got into this telly thing, and it's sort of taken over my life. I've started, like, I'll do so-and-so, but I'll watch Emma Dow first, and then you never get your backside up off of the sofa. So... I've decided it's taken up too much of my life. It's taken up too much of my attention. Well, apparently last week in the podcast, you said you were going to go back on Wild Fit and do some sort of no, martial Car- arts. Car- 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 Kajarembo or something. I can't even pronounce it. That's my first lesson. I don't to think you should it. move from fad to fad. No, well, what I need to do is I think we watch. We have too many distractions. We watch telly. We're on our phones. What I'm going to do... I'm committing now is next week I'm not going to watch any telly. I'm not going to turn my telly on at all, except for when I go out so my dog's got telly. I'm not going to watch any telly. And I'm going to use that time to do things that I think are going to be more enriching for my life. So take the dogs for a lovely walk in the evening rather than watch Emma Dow or go and mow my grass so that that's a job out of the way. Go to bed early and get some quality sleep. I'm going to use that time, listen to music. I never listen to music, really. I'm not really, you know, the sort of person that sits and listens to me. Cook meals from scratch. I'm just going to use the time that I waste in front of the telly. No, no, I said music. I'm going to use the time that I feel like I'm wasting my life away watching programs. You're always on the sofa. I've never heard anything like it. (laughs) This is vertigo for you. I'm going to get up and take the dogs to the beach in the evening if I want to or... You know, I'm going to go out and paint the fence in the garden. I'm going to do She's stuff. She's never going to do it. So I'm going to see next week, I'm going to come back next week 
and see what I can achieve next week when telly is taken completely out of the equation and how it makes me feel because I find the news makes me feel miserable at the moment and I know what's going on and I I do my best to help it. I've done a lot of charity stuff, you know, for animals for the Ukraine. I do get involved, but I'm finding it all sort of quite depressing and just all this mindless... And I even end up watching rubbish. So I end up watching like Naked Attraction and this new programme about threesomes, which I think is the lowest of the low. It's awful, but I still watched it. I'd like the chance for a onesome. Would you want to know what this week's column's about? Go on. It's about confidence. And actually, it's quite timely... Because Holly Willoughby was on the front page of the Mail on Thursday saying she has imposter syndrome. I saw that, And that yeah. she was useless when she first started and she made mistakes and doesn't feel she's good enough. And I've read another book called Confidence Culture. And this has just come out. It's by people called Shani Orgad and Rosalind Gill. We don't really care about them, but... In the interview with these people, which is in the paper, they talked about the murder of Sarah Everard. And this is what confidence culture is. The police ask women to work harder to change their behaviour by waving down buses or installing apps in their phones, whereas society should change. Sarah Everard was doing nothing wrong. Policemen should change, men should change, society should change. Isn't it interesting? You shouldn't have to change yourself isn't it interesting how when something happens society blames women isn't that interesting you're going off with a policeman uh, someone that you should be quite safe yeah she should have been flagging down about yeah um um, and you're blamed for trusting the policeman it it, it's really quite shocking Well, the only reason she she let herself be arrested even though he was obviously a bit dubious and on his own was because she knew she was breaking COVID laws. Yeah, yeah. She wasn't getting a birthday cake and drinking at number 10. She was just walking. Yeah. But she was breaking COVID laws. So that's why she allowed herself to get in the car. She wouldn't have done it otherwise. And so one of the authors, Rosalind Gill, said, the Sarah Everard case is a very good parallel. If we had to compress our book down to one slogan, it's the message of the new confidence culture is change the woman, don't change the world. In many cases, women are made the bad guys for their daughter's lack of confidence. The authors call this a double whammy. An ad by Dove cajoles mothers to talk to your daughter before the beauty industry does, in no way associating itself with the beauty industry. Yeah, interesting. The other author argues that confidence is often not an issue. She took quizzes on your confidence code website and did very well, but it's a bottomless pit because even though she scored quite high with confidence, she was sternly informed she had to keep working on herself, pay subscriptions, products, go on courses. So this is the crucial sentence, really. We're not against confidence in women per se. It's this constant asking women to turn inwards, make themselves better. And the time and effort involved is labour-intensive. So that kind of, it kind of got me thinking really because my lack of confidence and this column this week is all about not being confident has actually ruined my life. Yeah. I would say it has completely ruined my life because I was never confident enough to stand up to my sister and talk to my parents about it. I was never confident enough to apply for jobs. I 
always held back. Um, if I fancied a man, I'd turn away and I wouldn't talk to him. And it's some basic things, And I, have, I wasn't it? confident enough to deal with money. Yeah. I'd get a contract for work. And I'd be so thrilled I got a contract, I wouldn't read it because I was too scared to read it. I wouldn't open envelopes because yeah. I'm so scared. So what is the truth? You can be confident in some things and not in others So shall I read well? a bit of the column? Go for the column. Easter Sunday. See, I'm topical. You are topical. See? It's a peg. And it's Easter, Easter though. A peg. It's Easter though. It's exactly three years since I fell off my horse Swirly when she shot off due to something in the hedge, a bird, Nicola's dog. Don't blame Charlie. A leaf. And I came off landing heavily, breaking my ribs. Even wearing a body protector didn't save me from injury. I've only had the courage to sit on her once in three years. Yeah. I paid someone, not Nicola, obviously, to exercise her three times a week. But then COVID happened and the flaky, overconfident, chippy woman said she could no longer ride swirly because of COVID, which is odd as it takes place outside on your own. Since then, Swirly has been retired, which is fine for her as she has a huge paddock with lots of hills, her horse boyfriends, her freedom. A shame for me. I spent £1,250 last month, just in four weeks, on feed, bedding, farrier and the rent of the stable and field. I look at her expensive, unused balance saddle in the tap room and I feel a failure. It's all my own fault, the situation I find myself in. I've never been confident enough to put my own selfish needs first. In disputes, I've always given in. I never trust my God. I never put my foot down and say, no, I'm not doing it. No, do it yourself. Bugger off. I was bullied from the age of five and my parents either didn't spot it or didn't feel brave enough to protect me. Consequently, I've spent my life afraid of everything. My first period, my first bra... Never spoke to my mum about bras. I was scared of boys. I was scared of school. I wouldn't go in the playground. My mum kept trying to take me to school and I wouldn't go in. Oh, bless her. And I expect your mum. Your mum was very quiet, wasn't she? And Yeah. She probably didn't know how to deal with it. I was scared of the hotel receptionist. Do you remember I went on a skiing holiday in Switzerland? I couldn't go skiing because I didn't want to go past the receptionist. No. I look at people walking their dogs and they are so relaxed and happy and smiling. Me? I'm terrified something bad will happen. The only safe place is when we get back indoors. And even then, I'm afraid of a knock on the door. This is a hangover from when I was made bankrupt. Going through that ordeal, I should have been tougher. I should have refused to give in. But I was too scared. Even the lawyer I was forced to hire. You don't choose to hire these people you're made to. To help me would scare me. You will be made to live under a stone, she said. It's so difficult in that situation as well, wasn't it? Because when you were made bankrupt, you have all these people coming at you. You've got lawyers, you've got insolvency practitioners, you've got HMRC and the solicitors, and they all come at you at once and you really just feel overwhelmed by it. So it's really hard to be No, you need to be rich to go bankrupt, all the money they make you spend. And also all these people that in authority, it makes you feel... Like crawling under a stone to get away from, doesn't it? It was pretty awful, I have to say. It's pretty awful. A friend said to me the other day, I'll never lose my house because I'm not stupid. But I'm not stupid. I was just too nice. There's a reason people are rich. 
I must go back to the horses now, as one of Nick's horses needs its hay soaked for precisely one hour. I'm always on deadline. I've never got a moment to myself. I've been too busy to think about it, but I still have the message from an ex, shimmering like an unexploded bomb, telling me he has broken up with his much younger girlfriend. I could reply, I could tell him I'm not the vaginal equivalent of a courtesy car. I could whine and say, why did you not ask after Gracie? Why is it always all about you? Instead, I ignore him. I think it's life bitches who get ahead. I wish I had more courage. I was just walking my dogs at the end of a long, long day when I bumped into a semi-famous man from Ireland. I nodded, walked on. What did he say? He said, how are the new eyebrows? Yeah, bit invasive. Jesus, can people please stop reading things I write? Oh, no, don't. If I bumped into Paul McCartney, I wouldn't say, how are the plans for Glastonbury going? I would just smile and walk away. I replied, oh, okay, thanks. Beware of the next instalment. Oh, what's that, he said. Are you having a vaginal tuck? (gasps) That's literally... I almost almost fell over Mini Puppy. That's so rude and invasive. But you know what? Instead of turning pink or mumbling, I replied with a Beyonce swagger. I don't need one of those, thanks very much. I have the body of a teenager. Go for it. See? Nice bit of confidence there. You can read this week's diary in full in Man on Sunday's You magazine. So I've been talking about confidence... So you've done loads of stories, which you'd assume you'd need to be really confident for. So what's the most difficult you've done? What's What's been scariest? They're all quite scary, really. Um, you've been to war zones, haven't you? You've been to yeah. refugee camps. It was quite scary. I posed as an insane tourist in India. Post? Post? Well, I was actually working as a journalist. I'm not a tourist, actually. I don't go on holiday. But I about the insane bit. I posed as an insane tourist and I was able to be the first white woman into an elephant training camp. That was harrowing, though, wasn't that it? Was that harrowing. was really they harrowing. They thought I was insane. They wanted, I wanted Awful. to see that. Awful. I fought men in a marketplace in Ethiopia for not watering their donkeys and taking the rice off their backs. That was filmed, actually. I said, I'm going to fight them, I'm going to fight them. And the woman from the charity said, we have to give them time, we have to give them time. We oh, have to give them time. Off. I'm like, they're the oldest people on the planet, they've had enough time. Do you know, all this pussyfooting around, just give the animals some water. Let's Big, not worry about time. Celebrity Big Brother was scary. That was really scary. You have vomited a lot going in there. I vomited. You did. What people don't realise is they blindfold you, they put you in a limousine, they they imprison you in a hotel, then they put you in a limousine and they blindfold you so you can't see anything before you go into the thing. So you're all disorientated. Yeah. It's like being in the SAS going on, Big Brother. That was really scary. And you haven't got Ant-Man handling you. But I would say one of the most difficult things I've ever done was I was in Canada, godforsaken country, Apart from Seraphim, who lives there. We love Seraphim, but I've always wanted to go to Canada. I think it looks beautiful. I want to go to, like, the Rockies and stuff. Awful. There's a restraining order on me in Canada. I was training to be a trapeze artist with Cirque du Soleil. I am someone who won't go up a stepladder. I'll make you do it. And we have the photos to prove it. (laughs) So I was training to be a trapeze artist in Canada... And I got in the car on the way to be trained in a sparkly leotard. 
and my darling horse Lizzie was put to sleep. Yeah, that was awful, wasn't it? Absolutely. And I, I literally, I did not know how to tell you. It was awful. Awful. So this is my column from November 2014. I got to Montreal. I spent Friday working, having been up since 5am. I had a few texts from Nick. Here, hit this Nick. You're Nick. Me, I'm Nick. Saying that Lizzie, the horse, was frisky while grazing and she was thinking of letting her out the next day for her first taste of freedom since her operation. Oh, she was so happy, yeah. She had an operation which cost about £7,000. She had a bandage. She'd been on box rest. And and she was going to go out for the first time. So I thought, fine, I can go and learn to be a trapeze artist in Canada. We were excited, wasn't we? We were so excited because she'd had the staples taken out and the bandages off and I'd been walking her in hand and grazing her in hand. And we just got to that final thing, which was a big landmark, where we put her in a little tiny square so she could be free. Yeah. And I couldn't not go to Canada because it was my job. No. I got a cab to the airport to fly to Toronto. So I went to Montreal and then I went to Toronto. All the domestic flights were cancelled. So I sat by the gate. This is another thing about lack of confidence. The plane's cancelled. I sit by the gate. Everyone else wandered off to go and eat. Yeah. But I have an ingrained fear of missing the plane. So I just sat there and I was reading Us by David Nichols. I'd do that, to be honest. I finally got to my hotel at midnight to find they had stopped room service. But you're a hotel, I said. How many times have I been to a hotel and there's no room service? I don't it's understand It's in my contract it. now. If she ain't if she ain't got room service, she ain't going. Now that's my first question. I'm Has Mariah it got room Car- service? I'm Mariah Carey, aren't I, really? Uh, got to the hotel, no room service. I got a text from Nick, another one. Lizzie started pouring and looking at her tummy. Literally, it's like the worst thing. I went round to the stables and I saw her and, and the, it was like, The veterinary no. clinic said she won't get it again, she won't get it again. My heart sank. Five weeks after surgery and she'd be doing so well. So well. The day before I left for London, I'd graced her in hand for two hours, just ambling along the hedgerows. And Nick's text continued ever more feverish. I called the vet. He tubed her, which is putting fluid down her nose. Yeah. There's a lot of gas, so I've called an emergency horse box. Should be here at 5 a.m. Yeah, this I went was going to sleep. on through the night. Awful. I could, nothing I could do. I was in no, Canada. No. I went to sleep, exhausted, dehydrated, without room service. At 5.30 a.m., I woke up. It was 10.30 a.m. in the Yorkshire Dales. No text. Nothing. Just a missed call. I dialed Nick's number. She was in the Lamb Rover in the car park of the equine clinic trying to hold herself together. The surgeon just talked to me. Princess, which is your name for Lizzie, uh, is sedated, but she's coming round. She's on a drip, and every time I go back in the stable, she calls to me. The surgeon thinks it might be an infection on her intestinal wall. He thinks another operation will give her only a 30% chance. Just awful. She would have complications, infection. There are red blood cells in the fluid in her abdomen, which is not good. They're doing all they can, but he wants me to ask what you want to do. I would do anything for Lizzie. And the surgeon was lovely. I mean, he was was a top, top man in his game, and he was just lovely. I didn't leave her, did I? I was sat sat in the stable the whole time. She wouldn't let anyone else go near her without me. Just heartbreaking. So I would do anything for Lizzie, all right? I bought two houses for her. Three, actually. I employed Nick to look after her. I've spent seven years working hard, never seeing her, to make sure she's happy. And she was. 
I only got Benji and Dream to be her companions, but I can't put her through another surgery. I have on my phone a video that Nick took when I was at London Fashion Week of Lizzie and her little herd being let into the big field after the hay was cut. I must have watched it a hundred times. Lizzie cantering, black mane flowing, then exploding in a series of boxers squeals. She was so happy. So happy. I've been looking at flights and I told Nick I couldn't get back until Monday when I'd drive straight to the clinic and I'd be there by midday. I told her not to ask so I can't continue. I told Nick not to ask Lizzie to wait for me if it was too hard. I sent Nick a text. Don't leave her. I won't. How is she now? Pouring. She's got more painkillers. Then the phone call. It was Nick who'd stepped outside to call me. They've done everything they can. Where's Lizzie, I said. She's in the stocks being examined. Don't let them put her in the stocks. She has to be somewhere nice. Don't leave her. Don't let them hurt her. I was getting at a cab to do a day of interviews. A few minutes later, Nick called me. Mm-hmm. I can't talk, I told her. If I do, I will disintegrate. I held it together that day. No one would have known. I'd just lost the love of my life. But I had water pouring down my face. <laughs> Nick sent me a text. She sent a text saying she felt she'd let her down, but Liz never let her down, ever. Liz, like, gave her everything. She had friends, she had freedom, she had me. <laughs> she was such a good girl. But it's it's fun, it's, it's, it's awful. And I remember when I had to fly back from Canada and my ex came all the way to Heathrow to meet me off the plane. All he did was walk me to my car but he bothered to come all the way to Heathrow and walk me to my car. Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't speak to him because I'd stopped crying. Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. you'd like to get in touch then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess what i've done this week is to to ring the changes slightly i've gone and had a look at some of the comments on your last week's column or diary should i say diary diary it's a column the least jones diary it's a column i love winding her up about this it's called a diary. You I can't don't complain. need winding up. I'm as you tight as a spring. Can't complain if you call it a diary. It's what it's called. And we've got Stop the Planet, who apparently is somewhere in the United States. And they say, to be honest, she's not wrong in many respects. Bearing Liz was talking last week about wanting a man that was her equal and that deserved yeah. her. Stop the Planet says, to be honest, she's not wrong in many respects. Most men do not want a woman with a brain or a smart mouth. They more and often want are not looking for a 10 in the looks department and 20 years younger, even though they are barely a five with a paunch and 30 pound heavier than their online dating photograph. I think it makes a really good point there. That's really true. 
Many believe women are so desperate they will happily accept their many faults and consider themselves blessed that they manage to snag a man. Yeah, I'm not desperate. I listen to the horror stories that my friends tell me about their online dating experiences. From the, I've been divorced four times, to the guy that immediately stripped naked in her home the minute she turned her back, standing there proudly saluting the flag with his inflatable impalm. Well, that's a keeper, isn't it? I've never, oh heard, I've never heard of an inflatable implant. Well, that's a keeper. You take them home for a coffee and you turn around and they're naked. What woman could resist? We've also got HVE. I'd love to know what that stands for. Somewhere out there in the United Kingdom and said, if a guy hadn't contacted me the same week, then he's blocked. I wouldn't know if he tried a year later and I certainly wouldn't waste my time coming up with a witty combat. As for exes, they're exes for a reason. Yeah, my witty comeback when this guy got in touch with me was, which one are you? No, it was good. It was good. And someone else well, I pointed. I should have blocked him, though. But someone else pointed on the comments. I didn't include that one. But they did say that when you delete their contact, it wouldn't come up on WhatsApp what their name was. So it showed him saying that you had deleted his contact. But that made a double so point. so many men, so little time. So many men, so many men. And we've got one nobody from Melbourne, Australia, who says... I think the whole equal is a myth. It assumes they want you and are ready for you, like they might be perfect for you but are crazy. I think it just sets you up for failure and disappointment. No expectations, no disappointments. Life is so short. Either lower your standards and be realistic or learn to love being alone and find some good friends. I'm not going to lower my standards. That's a no. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit melplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday. But for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.